Do you dread tax time because you haven't saved enough for taxes? Are you totally confused and lost about your business finances? Do you worry that you'll never be able to retire or save for your kid's college education? If you bury your head in the sand because you think you'll never be a money person, I want to let you in on a huge secret. All you need to manage your private practice finances are a simple series of skills that you can learn. After all, you already did the hard work of graduating from college, becoming a therapist, and starting your private practice. Hi, I'm Lindsay Bonham. I'm a therapist turned money coach and the creator of Money Skills for Therapists. I've helped hundreds of therapists just like you develop peace of mind about their money. I invite you to watch my free masterclass where I teach my four-step framework to get your business finances totally in order. In the masterclass, I cover the three biggest mistakes that therapists make that keep them from getting clarity on their private practice finances, the secret that most accountants don't want you to know, and why working with your mindset and emotions is essential to changing your patterns with money. This masterclass is for therapists and health practitioners who are running or about to start a private practice. It is the first step in learning about my signature course, Money Skills for Therapists. Register today with the link in the show notes to take the first step to go from money confusion, anxiety, and shame to feeling clear and empowered about your money. I look forward to supporting you. Normally it looks like, oh, I'm going to slide the fee for this person, or my client is going through something, so I'm going to slide their fee. But that also can come with some resentment, especially if it's just ongoing and you haven't really talked about if this is going to shift at any point. I really like to help therapists to sort of explore ways to give back that aren't at your financial or emotional expense. Helping shouldn't hurt. Welcome to the Money Skills for Therapists podcast, where we answer this question. How can therapists and health practitioners go from money shame and confusion to feeling calm and confident about their finances and get money really working for them in both their private practice and their lives? I'm your host, Lindsay Bonham, therapist turned money coach and creator of the course Money Skills for Therapists. Hello, and welcome back to the podcast. So today's episode for our season closer for uh, season four of the podcast uh, I invited back Jalisha Gatling. So Jalisha is uh, a therapist. She was a coach in Money Skills for Therapists for about a year. She's a grad of Money Skills for Therapists. She used to coach for LIM as well, Lean and McBank, Tiffany's program. Now she does her own consulting with therapists. She does VIP days focusing around boundaries. And that is exactly what I invited her to talk about today when I was thinking about how do we finish off season four? Jalisha immediately came to mind because I love the work that she's doing around boundaries, um, looking at private practice from a boundaries perspective, looking at how not enforcing our boundaries leaves money on the table for therapists, but also, you know, being aware of the costs of not enforcing our boundaries, even in a personal sense. So if you find yourself feeling frustrated sometimes in your private practice or annoyed, resentful, exhausted, this episode is definitely for you. Jalisha shares five financial boundaries that therapists struggle with, you know, where setting and enforcing those boundaries will completely change your experience of your practice. And we also got into this really powerful conversation about helping and beliefs about helping and how helping should feel and how that also connects to our boundaries in private practice. Here is my conversation with Jalisha Gatling. So Jalisha, welcome back to the podcast. 
Thank you so much for having me again. It's an honor to be back. I am so excited to have you back. This is going to be our our season closer for season four, not to bring up the pressure again, but as I was thinking about who would I want to have, you immediately came to mind. And the thing that I actually immediately thought about is all this cool work that you've been doing around therapists and boundaries in their practice. Can you tell folks just a little bit about kind of that work that you do with therapists? Yeah. So I work primarily, I do some VIP days with therapists and also have some extended one-to-one work that I do with them, working on really recognizing where they may be leaving money on the table. And I find that typically that's always tied to a boundary that is not firm, that's not clear, or that needs to be reset because sometimes you do have to reset boundaries as your practice grows and changes. And so really helping them to see where they may be leaving money on the table and what kind of boundaries they need to firm up and and what really aligns with their values. Mm -hmm. That's around policies. It's around really like walking the walk, not just talking the talk and really helping them to have language to communicate to clients and exploring how to communicate that to clients if they have fears or anxiety, because a lot of therapists have anxiety about losing clients or clients getting mad. And so really giving them a lot of support around all of those fears so that that doesn't keep them from having a practice that really works for them. I love that framing of boundaries because I think this is a topic, you know, that we could talk about in a lot of ways. And certainly folks think about like their policies or their fee, but I think framing these things as boundaries shows where they're all kind of similar. And also to me speaks to the fact that these are really personal, you know, boundaries are personal. What is one person's boundary? What's your boundary might not be my boundary. And so I love that too, of really highlighting the fact that these are very personal and kind of linked to our our emotions and our feelings and probably like messages in our body can give us clues about what's working and what's not working. Yes, they absolutely do. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So I'm curious, what are some of these boundaries that you see therapists struggling with in their private practices? Well, so one that I see that I think for a lot of therapists I've worked with, they, they haven't really recognized it. It's something that I, I tend to assess for is when you have clients who are hitting their goals and they say, hey, how about we start seeing each other bi-weekly or monthly? Or maybe you even make that suggestion because it makes sense clinically. I think it's really important that you sort of pre-plan what spots in your calendar are going to solely be for bi-weekly or monthly or whatever less frequent clients. Let's say maybe you even do check-in sessions. I have specific blocks in my calendar that are for those specifically. And This really helps because I've I've heard so much frustration. Hey, I've experienced it myself where I've said, okay, yeah, cool. We'll do that. And I give them the same spot. And then someone, you know, wants to come in and I am stretching myself to uh, try to find a spot for a new client that actually isn't in my ideal client schedule, if that makes sense. Yeah. So that you're not just saying yes to keep someone or saying yes to be a people pleaser. If that's something that you maybe struggle with, you mm-hmm. want to say, Hey, actually, I have specific biweekly spots. This is what I have available right now. So I literally on my calendar, I have any biweekly spots that are open available. You know, I think it's really good to set sort of an, an amount, a minimum amount and make sure that it's during a time that isn't going to annoy you. So, you know, something that might be before your last session and let's say it's not full 
cool at that time. That might not be the best space to put your right. body availability. But I let clients know up front, I just had a new couple starting and they said, so what happens when we want to maybe come less, less than once a week? Like, do you do that? I said, yes, but you will not be guaranteed this spot. It's based on what five weekly availability I have, which is different. And they were like, oh, okay, that makes sense. So it's not a surprise. Yeah, And yeah. really, really, it helps you not to stretch yourself too thin, but also it impacts your money. It really does. Sure. So it's just something that you want to be, when you think about your ideal schedule and you're laying that out, you want to also account for those kinds of shifts that right. will likely happen. And something that you know occurs to me when you're talking about this is, again, thinking about it being boundaries and personal, it's also going to depend on how you like to work with people and how you tend to work with people. So what I'm kind of gathering from what you're saying is biweekly is, is not probably your ideal or common way of working with folks. Is that accurate or? Well, not initially. Yeah. Like in my practice, if I think back, something that was really important to me is I also had biweekly spots, but those spots were really popular, right? Because mm -hmm. I, I did EMDR and, you know, worked with folks on often like family of origin, like old, old stuff. And some folks coming bi-weekly actually worked quite well for them because it was like so intense. The work was so intense that it was like nice to have settling time in between. So it's really common that I had bi-weekly clients, but mm -hmm. I have specific bi-weekly spots. So it's like two clients would be sharing a spot, yes. but that would be very much set in my schedule. So I don't have like one bi-weekly person hanging out here on Thursday at three, but then I've got nobody the next week. Like it's like, that was very common in my, in my practice, but it would Again, having that clear spot, you know, what I'm hearing is part of the pain of it is if you have spots that you don't think through and then it's biweekly, you can have it so that as you say, like it's a spot before your last spot. So every Thursday you have like a three hour gap in your afternoon every yep. other week that you're like, God damn this gap. Exactly. Right. And so again, that's very personal, um, <laughs> but I love, yeah, that bringing that intention to what your schedule needs to look like and, yeah. and being proactive about it too. Mm -hmm. Yeah, being proactive about it. And yeah, it's it's really helpful to set up those expectations up front. And I'll talk at the end about my my freebie that sort of addresses how to sort of change if if you're already in the thick of oh my gosh, this is a mess, how can I change it? There there are ways to reset that. I love that. And something else that I love about this proactivity is like sometimes I think that these things kind of take us by surprise, but they shouldn't because we know we know that when we're working with somebody for long enough, eventually they'll be like, I don't think I need to come so much. And we'll be like, I don't think you need to come so much. So that's not a surprise. But when we don't plan in advance and set those boundaries in advance, it can take us by surprise. And then we're like, oh, okay, yeah, you can just stay in this spot. Like, I love the boundaries, not just being reactive in this case, but being proactive. Totally. Yes. And it's like, all you have to do, all I have to do is look at my calendar and I can tell you what bi-weekly spots I have available. Same with if someone needs to reschedule. I have rescheduling spots in my calendar. Ooh, yes. So, so good. Yeah, it helps. Okay. So what other boundaries? Okay. So uh, the second one, it's very connected to the first one, but you want to set clear expectations for clients when they initially come in for what they have to, I guess, what expectations do you expect them to meet to hold their spot? So this can come up when you, let's say you have a client who they cancel kind of frequently, but they always do it within your cancellation policy. So if it's 48 hours, perhaps they they're always getting in there within that 48 hours to cancel, but maybe it's two weeks before you see them again and you're holding this like prime time spot for them. And so I've run into that initially and it, you know, it's, it's kind of uncomfortable and difficult to try to talk about that if you haven't outlined that in your paperwork and it hasn't yes. been an expectation that you verbally express. Right. And so, and this could be anything. I'm not going to say that there's a 
perfect way to do it, but what feels right for you? For me, if you don't reschedule within the same week for more than two times, basically Mm -hmm. once it goes past two times, we're having a conversation Mm -hmm. and your spot may be released. So that's kind of how I go about it, but it really can look it can look however it works for you. It's really personal and it may change also, but it needs to be clear so that you're not, oh, I hope they don't do this again. Or, you know, you're going back and forth. Or like, oh, they did it again. Now what do I do? Yeah. I love that extra layer. Cause as you say, like sometimes we have policies that are like, as you say, like cancellation window, you know, like give me 48 hours notice. So it's like, technically they're following your policy and yet you're still getting that like, oh, reaction. Right. Yeah. Which is a sign yeah. that maybe your policy is not clear enough. So make being clear about those expectations. Yeah. And something that I think about with this too is like it's going to depend on you and also your client population. Yeah. Right. And who you want to serve, who you do serve. So like sometimes sometimes I notice this with folks like in Money Skills for Therapists, for instance, like when we're having these conversations where it's like, well, that doesn't feel good to me. And it's like, that's an example. You know, we need to set our own. Yes. But it's thinking about like who do you serve, who do you want to keep serving you know, what makes sense for that population, but still having expectations, not just like anything goes just because you work with moms who are busy. doesn't mean that your schedule is just whatever. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Yeah. So just being clear on, on, because the boundary is only as good as the response, right? Mm. That's essentially what you want to set up. Um, So around attendance and around rescheduling, I mean, that that could name four or five different ways that you might approach that. So yeah, really being clear about that and going over that in that initial session. And again, if that changes at some point in the middle of treatment, bringing that up and saying, hey, there's some changes going on in my practice. This is what's up. Okay. So what's our next boundary? I know you have a few that you brought, so I want to make sure we hit them all. What else do you notice? So another one is this this idea of a therapist wanting to give back and giving back in their business. And so that could look, normally it looks like, oh, I'm going to slide the fee for this person or my client is going through something. So I'm going to slide their fee. But that also can come with some resentment and sort of, especially if it's just ongoing and you haven't really talked about if this is going to shift at any point, it can become frustrating. And so I really like to help therapists to sort of explore ways to give back that aren't at your financial or emotional expense. And so, especially if you're in a position where you really can't afford to have a, a pro bono spot or a sliding scale spot, and I'll say yet, because I think you can set up sort of uh-huh. you know, an idea of what that would look like when I am able to do that. But in the meantime, this could be creating a course, a workshop. You know, people create really cool things that um that clients or potential clients could utilize while they're maybe continuing on their search or in addition to referrals that you might give them. It could be a page of um really great book resources. It could be, you know, running a group that would be a lower cost that's still serving the population that you like to work with. Just really highlighting that sliding the fee isn't the only way to give back. And I always say like helping shouldn't hurt. Helping is that's supposed to be like a generous, feels good thing. If it hurts and it doesn't feel good, you're not helping. Oh my gosh. That's so, so good. Yeah. Yeah. That <laughs> helping shouldn't hurt. And the other thing that you said that a similar idea, but so good of giving back in ways that doesn't cost you emotionally or financially. Yeah. Because I, you know, I think that that helping shouldn't hurt piece really gets at something that is a belief that I think a lot of therapists unconsciously have that helping hurts, right? Like, so it makes me think about the opposite there of like, 
the conditioning that we have often before I think we get into this field from experiences in our life or our family of origin or just societal messages about being women or being people of color and sacrificing yourself and you're not valuable. I'm getting like chills in my body. (laughs) No, I, I, but even like as a black woman, I mean, it's, you know, there's this narrative of be the strong black woman, you're the head of the household, you, you take on everything, you're strong. And so I think a lot of therapists can almost approach it like, well, they're really going through it. It's not as bad. Like I, I have more um, privilege or things aren't Mm -hmm. so bad. So you know what? I can, I can just sort of give this away, even though I may not have a whole cup because they need it. So it's really putting them first. Right. But again, I say, is that coming from a full cup? If you're stressing about making your rent, if you're stressing about, you know, you want to do more supervision, but you're not able to, you know, you've got to really weigh that out. And again, I don't say, okay, you don't have to do anything, but just explore what else giving back could look like during this period in your, in your practice. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Because something I think about too, and I think if folks are listening and, and the idea of like taking care of yourself or having a full cup is like too far, maybe a first step to thinking about this is how is it impacting the folks in your life, like your kids or your partner or your ability to be present for your parents who need you when you're giving so much that you're depleted financially or emotionally, right? So like, if you can't think about taking care of yourself yet, think about those people who are actually your inner circle and who you love and who who really need you. Like I often think about this with being a parent, like my clients used to think that they really needed me. My son mm-hmm. really needs me, right? Yeah. There's a difference there, right? Yeah. Anybody can find another therapist. My son is not going to find another mom if I'm emotionally unavailable and exhausted and, you know, not present for him. So that might be something like as a gateway thing for folks who are listening to think about is, yeah, there there's costs to us and there's costs to people around us when helping hurts. That is such a great, I'm so glad you brought that piece up because it's making me think of a lot of therapists that I've worked with who have said to me, I'm like, if this were to be helpful to you, what would be happening right like in the future? And they say, I would actually want to talk to my partner when I got home. I I wouldn't want to curl up in a ball. I wouldn't be annoyed at my kid wanting to tell me about their day. And like, those are the things that like matter. Yeah. No. And so, yeah, this is so much bigger than just money in the bank. Mm -hmm. Totally. Yeah. Okay. What's your next boundary? That was so good. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. The boundary is not giving away your professional services for free. So when I say this, when I'm talking about therapy specifically, I'm talking about maybe acquaintances, friends, family who try to really utilize you and emotionally dump on you as a therapist. So that can be costly, it's draining, and you just don't want to set that precedence that you're available for that. In addition, there's so many therapists who have, who maybe do consulting, who are supervisors, who maybe do workshops. And I've been in the position where I've had old colleagues, schoolmates from grad school reaching out like, hey, can I pick your brain or can I do this workshop for free? Or I would do it. But I would become, I started to get resentful after a while and I realized this is like, this is money I'm leaving on the table, but also I don't feel good about it because people sometimes can push, you know what I mean? And so there's, there's something about charging for your services. Like for example, if you are licensed as a supervisor and you provide supervision, I mean, unless it's totally in your heart, I mean, completely in your heart and feel good. I'm not saying that you shouldn't do it, but if you are saying, hey, I need to make more money, I am stretched thin, I need more free time, and you're making time in your calendar to give away 
professional services that you actually charge for, you know, you're contributing to that. You're playing a part in maintaining that. And so I I help therapists to really how to have that conversation, how to respond to those emails that say, hey, can I pick your brain? I saw you on XYZ. How to do that kindly. You know, it goes something like maybe responding with, you know, hey, is this, I think this might've been something that you maybe shared with me years ago, Lindsay. You remember, don't you? I I do. Yes. You say it's something to the effect of, you know, is this going to be sort of just a like catch up friend kind of thing? Or are we talking business? If so, here's my link or here's the schedule, here's the keys, right? Yes. And the line that I have used in the past is if you want to talk about business, let's make this a consulting session so I can bring my full consulting brain and give you, you know, exactly what you're looking for. Like let's making that clear delineation, right? Like, are we friends who are catching up or are Mm -hmm. you getting business advice from me? Because if you're getting business advice, I'm not going to come with stories about my kid. I'm I'm going to come ready to actually serve you and you're going to pay me for it. Something that, you know, I've been thinking about in the last couple, especially in the last year, I'd say, Jalisha, is also the cost to you in terms of your experience of yourself when you let this happen. I know for me personally, I was not good at building healthy relationships in my younger life. Right. So I've built relationships where there's a precedent where I am the therapist and I am the caregiver. And when we get together, they're going to emotionally lean on me and they're not going to ask me about myself or they're not going to ask me about this hard thing that's happening in my life. And especially in the last couple months, I would say, like, I've really made a decision of like, I'm not doing that anymore. And it's hard. It's hard. Right. Because in some cases, that actually means saying goodbye to people. Yeah. Right? Yeah, like that, that actually ends up being the boundary of like, this isn't actually a relationship I'm going to continue investing in. You know, it's not because of who they are. It's nothing fixed, but it's like, we've built this thing that works a certain way. And I think if we met today, we probably wouldn't become friends and who I've grown into. I'm not willing to put myself into this position. Cause I noticed for myself, like feeling that like, you know, empowered boss energy, if you want to say it a certain way, like, yes, what I do is valuable. And I'm like, I'm changing people's lives and I'm getting emails from people who are like, you've totally changed the way I think about money, feeling that way over here. And then going for a friend date where afterwards I feel like used and unappreciated and like, I don't matter. And then like, it's not, it's not worth the cost, right? The cost becomes so much more clear when you do start to have people who value what you have to offer. And so, yeah, this one for me really, like, I feel it deeply and it's a hard one. It can be a really hard one to either change those dynamics or have to say goodbye to folks. Yep. Definitely been ghosted by some people that I thought I would be like lifelong colleagues with, (laughs) but yeah. Yeah. And been ghosted like when you set a boundary like this or. Oh yes. Oh yes. Like responded with that. Like never heard from them again. All of a sudden I can't see them on Instagram. I mean like, Oh wow. That are like, come on, we work together. And I'm like, no, actually like this is something I literally, this is like a part of my income. This is how I make a living now, you know? And that tells you so much about. (laughs) how much they actually value what you do. Nice. I've had folks before ask me if they could give them consultation, but charge it as like social work so they could use their insurance. I'm like, first of all, that's insurance fraud. <laughs> Secondly, you're literally willing to pay me $0 for this thing that I'm like, that is my specialty. And that like, I really thrive in and have a lot of gift to share with you. You literally value it, not even at $0, but like, will you fraud for me? It's like, wow. No, no, I will not fraud for you. Yeah. And like, what is that, you know, what is the impact of on us of that when folks like so devalue or aren't willing to talk to us again when we set a boundary around what our services are worth? It can be tough. Yeah, it can. And I think like that's something to really recognize and validate. Like as we're talking about these boundaries is some of these might be easier and some of them will be harder and some of them you won't be able to set right away. They might be things that you need to like 
get support from your partner or other friends to like shore yourself up to have hard conversations. Boundaries are hard. Boundaries are hard. But it does get easier. Like, would you, like, you feel like this particular one has gotten easier for you? I feel like it's gotten easier for me. Yeah, I think so. Like, I think that the parts of me that believe that I have something of value to offer, that I have value, that my friendship is also valuable. Those parts I think have starting to get bigger relative to the parts that, that put me into these positions and that, you know, help me build relationships where I wasn't valued and where I was kind of used for many, many years. And so I think that that it's been a big internal shift that by doing, it's kind of like fake it to make it, right? Like you set the boundary first and the first time it's like, ah, that was so hard. And then you do it again. And then eventually you start to actually believe like, no, I actually don't deserve to be treated like this. Yeah, it's, so it does get easier. But I think in this kind of like profound deep work way, something changes on a deeper level that makes it easier the more you do it. Yeah. And yeah. you get these responses that are like, okay, are they, you they yes. show up calendar right away. And you're like, oh my God. Totally. Yes. That is the other side of it. Right. And I have had those responses too, where people are like, oh no, no, of course I'm paying you. Like, you know, yeah. let's set up a time and then we do great work together and then it feels great. And we still have this like friendly relationship over here, but now, and I can think of a particular colleague who comes to mind, but now it's also like, they're like, you know, I, I think of one wonderful colleague who sends me a text out of the blue of like, I have built a successful practice. It is all because of you. Thank you so much. And so it's like, we have this like loving collegial relationship but also she's actually gotten the full success of having worked with me because she paid me and we actually work together rather than her trying to pick my brain over coffee. Yeah. 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 So everybody wins. Everybody wins when boundaries are held. Do you have another one? Yeah. Oh, it's kind of a quick one. It's more of like, let's say you're in a position where you're like, I don't really know what, if I need to set boundaries, I feel like I have them. I'm not sure. I'm wondering what I might not be, what I might be overlooking. I say, ask yourself, and sort of maybe just clock over a week or two, what's annoying you? What's getting under your skin in your business? What email are you maybe avoiding or are you rolling your eyes when you see? Because a lot of times that will highlight something that you, a boundary that needs to be set, reset, or clarified. And it likely is tied to money in some way. Like it impacts your money mm -hmm. yes. likely in some way. And yes. so that can be a way to sort of try and assess where your boundaries might be a little blurry. And so yeah, just that's the place that I tend to start with with clients is just kind of listening for where are their annoyances, what are where what are their frustrations, and they usually are reoccurring ones. If every week you're like, oh, I had two cancellations, uh, uh, you know, you want to like look into that and see what yes. that might be about. Yes, totally. When I think of that too, it immediately comes to mind. I'm like, what are the the messages that I'm avoiding responding to? Yes. Those are also showing me like for some reason. There's something there that I don't want to deal with. And when I think about the examples that come to my mind, they are boundary things. With folks asking for things that I they should probably be paying me for or asking another professional that they're paying rather than asking me. So that's a good one. And I feel like that comes exactly full circle with what I was saying at the beginning that I love about this boundary approach is like, it is so personal and your body's going to tell you, right? You're going to feel in your body like that annoyance or contraction, or you're going to see yourself avoiding if your boundaries are not being respected somewhere or need to be reinforced. Yep. Yeah. So good. Glance at your calendar, just like looking at each name. I've done that before and just seeing what comes up. And if I'm like, oh, I can't wait for this one to be over. It yes. might be because these people, this couple goes over 20 minutes. They don't go over. I let them go over. Right. Yeah. You know, that's a boundary that I need to set. And mm -hmm. so, you know, that's an example. And clinically too, it makes you think about also clients that are not a right fit or where they are being inappropriate and violating your boundaries. And, and, and I've talked with therapists about this before of like how having even one or two clients on your caseload 
that are stressing you out or there's just like a whole load of like transference and it's very messy can like completely change your experience of your practice. Yes. You can have 10 other lovely sessions that week, but those two sessions that stress the shit out of you can really impact your relationship to the work that you're doing. And I found for myself, you know, when I talk about boundaries, those are cases where I've had to like refer clients out and stop working with them. And that, that has been really hard for me. I remember getting tons of supervision around having to have these conversations and fear of clients' reactions and like, but it was 150% the right decision in those cases where there's somebody that I'm just dreading and I feel awful after I see them. It's, it's not worth the cost. I'm not, I'm also not being effective as a clinician if that's my internal response. Exactly. Right. I'm clearly not actually vibing with this person in a way that's going to be helpful for them. Yeah. Can totally resonate with that. Ah, Jalisha, thank you so much. Thank you for having me. So uh, if folks want to get further into your world, first of all, where can they find you, follow you, learn more about you? Yeah, they can find me at Saving the Saver. Yeah, S A V E R, not Savior, Saver. Saver. <laughs> saving yes. the Saver. That's you, listener. Yes. You are the Saver. You save others. Julie's going to save you. Everything. The website, <laughs> Saving the Saver, Saving the Saver on Instagram, TikTok. Right. Beautiful. Mm-hmm. Yeah, you're on TikTok, eh? Yeah, I've been messing with it. I have a different persona over there. Like, I have a lot of. Do you? I know. It's good. It's good. I quit it because I was deeply addicted, but it's good. There's so many good things about it. We'll have that conversation off mic. And then if folks want to get something from you, you've made it, you've alluded to, tell us about this, this free yeah, you have. So I, this is something that's been a long time in the making that I have, I provided to a lot of the VIPs I've worked with and I'm like, people need this. And so I've created a, a set of templates, email templates that you can save in your Gmail. And I'm just, I've come up with four that are real must-haves. There is a set that is just a template that you can have for when you have just general inquiries coming in. And it really like, for me at least, lays out and articulates the deal breakers, all the things that might sort of come up so that you don't spend precious time on a consultation. And then at the end, you're, you know, having to talk about insurance or this, that, the third. And so this is the way that I have found has tremendously increased my consultation to client conversion rate. Yeah. It's just been helpful. So I have that. I also have one for when you are raising your fee, because that's a really tough one that a lot of therapists struggle with. And I say, if you send an email, you're going to have a conversation. So like you're stuck doing it, you can't keep avoiding it. Also, if there's being a change in availability or like what we were talking about, about with the the rescheduling. I have one for that. If you have a change for that and then consultation follow-up. Yeah, this is not something that I do with every consultation, but have you ever had that consultation where you're vibing? You, This client is like 110% your ideal client. You know, you're going to book them. And then there's a little bit of, oh, I got to check on my work. If I can get off earlier, I have to check my husband or whatever. There's something yes, like that. With my husband. Classic, and so yes. I follow up about a week later, only if I felt like, oh, we are such yeah. And say, hey, just checking in. No, you were checking on XYZ. Wanted to let you know, you know, I'm my door is still open. Let me know if you want to start. Here's a, here's what I need from you if you want to start. And half the time, they they just needed a friendly nudge reminder. Yes, you know, and so I just think sometimes therapists will leave money on the table in that way. So you've got these four great templates. People can just like load them into their Gmail. And what is that called on your website? So folks can go and get those templates. Four must have email templates for therapists and private practice. Beautiful. And I love this because you're automating boundaries. Yeah. Well, the last ones reach out, but like a lot of these are like, you know, it seems to me like kind of like proactive. So go over to Jalisha's website, saving the saver, get these four templates. Uh, Jalisha, thank you so much for joining me today. Thank you, Lindsay. 
Bye. In that conversation with Jalisha, you know, I said it at the time and I will say it again. I I got chills talking about beliefs about helping and how helping should hurt. Um, you know, would, would be the opposite. You know, she said helping shouldn't hurt. I think that so many of us believe that helping should hurt. And we get that message from society because of who we are in society, because of our, our gender or our race or our class. We're told that we're not important. We're positioned to give ourselves away to others and not think about our own needs as valid. We also get it in our profession, right? From our, our professional training um, or from our experiences of being helpers that helping does hurt, helping should hurt. And I think there's even the belief that if you don't hurt, you're not helping. So powerful to dig into those beliefs that can really stop us from enforcing our boundaries. But if you want to have a career <laughs> that lasts, if you want to stay in this profession, um, and I think also if you want to be able to do this work, not at the cost of your your partner, your family, your parents, your kids, it is so important to find a relationship with helping that doesn't hurt and that feels good. And where you are, you know, as Julisha said, you know, you're giving from a full cup, not depleting yourself for the sake of others. And these five boundaries that she shared with us today are so powerful. And definitely jump over to Julisha's website, Saving the Saver, love the name of her business, to get those templates, um, but also just to get further into her world. Cause I think the work that she's doing and the way that she's talking about boundaries and money and private practice is such a powerful framing and such a helpful way to come at what can often be very difficult conversations to have or difficult changes to make. Recognizing it as boundaries, listening to your body for those cues that your boundaries are being violated is a really powerful way to come at that. If you want to get more content from me, you can follow me on Instagram. Uh, we are sharing free, of course, because it's Instagram, practical and emotional money content on there all the time. And if you're enjoying the podcast, please jump over to Apple Podcasts and leave me a review. It is the best way for other therapists to find us. Thanks for listening today. Mm-hmm.